Well, through the month of August, we went through our series Reboot as we were looking at what it means to be a church and the things that we need to be doing as disciples. And so I know we had lots of people traveling and in and out throughout the course of August. And so if you missed any one of those messages, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to the ones that you missed uh, so that you can uh, be a part of the things that we're talking about in this year as we, we talk about what it means to gather, grow, and go. Uh, each one of those messages unpacked each of those pieces and, and what it means to gather, grow, and go. So, so make sure to go back and listen to those if you missed uh, any of those. Uh, next Sunday, we will be starting a new series looking at Joshua. And so it is our fall kickoff on September 10th, where we'll be starting new life groups. We're going to be starting new, or well, we started new classes today. Um, our children's ministry is kicking off next Sunday. And so it, it really is a good time to invite people to participate in our gatherings each week. So, so be praying about who you want to invite to be a part of, of what God is doing here at Montgomery. There are invitations out in the foyer. Uh, you can pick one of those up. We'd love to, to have uh, lots of visitors next uh, Sunday as we invite others to join us. We mailed out invitations to about 600 households as well, um, and so there's, uh, those are going out, but, but that personal invitation from you is what is going to be most critical for having people uh, join us here. I want to do a little bit of an experiment this morning as we uh, get started, uh, so if you would just close your eyes for a moment. Uh, just try to clear your mind of the distracting things around you and the distracting things within you. Uh, for those of you who are peeking to see if other people are closing your eyes, yes, they're closing their eyes. So, so close your eyes, close your eyes. You don't look that silly. Um, so as your eyes are closed, think for a moment. Get a picture of God. When I say picture God... What comes into your mind's eye? What picture do you have? All right, you can open your eyes now. So that wasn't too long or painful. So think about the picture that you have of God. And what, what images come to mind? Now, a very common image would be some old man with a beard. Uh, maybe sitting in a rocking chair or sitting on a large throne. Uh, maybe your picture was very human. Maybe your picture was male or female. Maybe your image of God was something more abstract that really uh, was not of any human shape at all as you picture in your mind God. Um, as you picture God, if it was, if it was a human image, was, was God smiling or not? Maybe God is a stern face. The image of God is someone that is stern. Uh, maybe God is smiling. What was God holding? Were there any objects that God was holding? A very common one would be a thunderbolt. And so we have this stereotyped image of this stern old man with a beard holding a thunderbolt locked and ready to go. Maybe your image of God is a little bit different, but we have these different pictures of who God is and a variety of reasons that shape that image of God. 
Uh, it could be our upbringing, it could be our experience in church, it could be our growth in, in what we read in Scripture. We have these different images of God. The Scripture tells us that God is love, and God loves us so much that He would send His Son for us. Now, with that description of God, what images should come to mind? Sometimes we, we forget those passages and we get locked into these, these ideas of God being judge and God being on the throne with the lightning bolt ready to go. And we've been talking a lot about discipleship over the last few weeks and few years as we think about what it is that it means to be a disciple. And a lot of the talk is what it is that we need to do. Who are we supposed to be? That we need to be listening to God. God, what are you saying to me? And we need to be obedient to those commands and, and do what he says to do. We've talked about the greatest commandments being to, to love God and love others. Both of those are actions that we need to take. It's what we need to do. And it's easy for us to start to, to get things twisted around and forget that what we have is rooted in the loving gift of grace. That what we are doing is not something to be done to earn God's favor. What we're trying to do is not something to, to receive a gift from Him. We're not trying to earn his forgiveness. We're not trying to earn his favor. In Christ, we have already received that. And so as we talk about what it means to be a disciple, as we talk about what it means to do, what, what we're supposed to be doing as followers of Christ, we have to remember that everything is rooted in this love of God. And that's secure. And so this morning, we're going to talk a little bit more about this idea of love. When we talk about love God and specifically to love others, what is a biblical view of love? Because love has lots of different meanings. It can be used to love pizza or love my wife. Obviously, the two are not the same and interchangeable in definition, we can love God or we can love a sports team. Those should not be interchangeable in definition. We use the word love in a lot of different ways. But what is this Christ-like love? Because if the greatest commands are to love God and love others, we need to have a clear definition of what love means. If what we're doing is rooted in those values, if, if the central virtue that impacts all of our character is love, then we need an idea of what we mean by love. What is its shape? What is its meaning? What are the implications for us? What love do we receive from God, and then what love do we extend to others? And so in preparing for, la uh, for last week's message on Go, I uh, read a chapter from a book called Kingdom Ethics uh, that's talking about love. And it had this, this great analysis of what biblical Christ-like love is. I didn't have a chance to get to it last week. And so we're going to continue this week a little bit from last week's theme of going and loving others to talk about this idea of love. Love is not a, a simple emotion. 
Love is not a, a single-faceted emotion. Love is this complex drama that evolves over time, that, that evolves and shifts as the characters grow and interact with one another. As you see a play unfold, you see the, the characters interact with one another, and, and there's more and more character development over time as you get a greater picture of, of who these characters are that are, are acting out this story. And we see this example in our own relationships. We, we are newlyweds, and we think we know what love is. Or step even further back, we're in a dating relationship and we think we know what love is. And then we get married and we think we know what love is. And then you've been married for a while and you think you know what love is. And then you've been married for a really long time and you think you know what love is. And then you lose a spouse. And then you think you know what love is. Our view of that love in that relationship evolves over time. And it changes when, when there's conflict that comes in or when there's a challenge, when there's an illness, when there's, there's a difficulty that arises, when there's a great thing to celebrate. These things bring to us a, a greater view of what love really is. When, when you're faced with a hardship, you realize love is much different than what it was when everything was easy. And so love evolves. It's this complex drama that changes over time. And so we specifically look at the story of Jesus and we see this, this evolution of love and who he is and, and what he models for us. He acted with, with mercy to outsiders. He, he acted with love by, by feeding the hungry, by healing the blind, by teaching truth, by forgiving, by dying. We see the example of Jesus giving love. And we like to think that Jesus' love is just a, a sacrificial love, but it, it is so much more than sacrifice. It's not simply him saying, okay, I'm going to give up my life and sacrifice something. It is love that answers the story of deliverance that we see throughout Scripture. That we are being delivered from something through his sacrifice, through his love for us, we experience deliverance. We sing the song, had it not been for the Lord who was on our side, everything would have taken over us, but we are delivered from that because of the love of God. We see that throughout the story of Scripture as we see the, the being slaves in Egypt and being freed from the Egyptians and going through the water and being saved through the water to go to the promised land. And so as we look at the teachings of Jesus, one of the most provocative images of love is found in Luke chapter 10, what we call the story of the Good Samaritan. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. I want to encourage you to turn there this morning. This is a parable that is answering a question from a lawyer. And the lawyer's question is, who is my neighbor? The lawyer is looking at Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, and, and looking at the, the law that says, love your neighbor as yourself. And like any good lawyer, he wants to know definition of terms. He wants to know, what is this neighbor? What does it mean to be neighbor? Because if I have a clear definition of that, then I know who I have to love. And therefore, I know who I don't have to love. So please, Jesus, define for me who is my neighbor. And so Jesus tells this story. 
that gives this image of who a neighbor really is. So let's read together, starting in verse 25 of Luke chapter 10. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? Just like Jesus, to turn it back as another question. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly. Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. This is the first problem. He wanted to justify himself. What is he trying to justify? So he asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for the extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Which one? We've got these three characters, this priest, this Levite, this Samaritan. Who is the neighbor? And this expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. He didn't say the Samaritan. He couldn't bring himself to admit such a thing, that it would be a Samaritan that's the right answer to this question. And so he simply says, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. I love this story. I really hate this story at the same time. <laughs> because it presents for us this challenge of what Christ-like love looks like. When he says, love your neighbor as yourself. It gives an answer to that that I think many of us wish wasn't quite as written. And so we see the drama of love, the complicated layers of what it is, and this gives us a picture of what love is. And the first thing that love is, that we see in this story, is is love sees with compassion and then enters into the situation. So sees with compassion and then enter ends, enters into the situation. 
So we have two characters who see the situation, but do not see with compassion and keep moving on. And then we have the Samaritan who sees with compassion and actually goes and enters into what's going on in this situation. Now, I think many of us are simply blind to seeing what is going on around us. We don't see with compassion. We don't look and, and see what's happening. We're, we're either too busy or we're too, uh, too consumed with our agendas or, or things that are going on in our lives where, where we're not even seeing. So love, first of all, has to see with compassion. There has to be a heart situation going on here. You see with compassion that enter into the situation. Now, this original parable was not titled The Good Samaritan. That's a, that's a heading that our translators put in some other time. The story emphasis, because of what's presented first, is really on the victim on the road. Here is a person who is traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, this notoriously dangerous road. This is not a good place to be after dark. This is not a good place to be traveling. It's full of thieves and looters and people who, who want to take advantage of travelers. And so here is this man who is in danger. This is, this is the, the first character that is presented in the story. Here is this person who is traveling, and now he has been beat and stripped and robbed. He's vulnerable and helpless. He's left half dead. Now, in this culture, security was really found in membership with a particular ethnic group. So because of your identity with a group, it knew who would defend you and who you would defend. And so here is a traveler who is stripped of his clothing, which would be a marker of what group he was a part of. So he now has no ID. And not only that, he is unconscious, so he can't speak. So his accent, his language, something else that would have identified him as a part of a group is now gone. So here is a man who has no identity, completely vulnerable, left to die. He's removed from all loyalty of another group. He's removed from any opportunity to, to be helped. And so who is this person? We don't know who he is. And so Jesus teaches us to have compassion on those who are helpless, those who lack identity, those who are vulnerable, those who are oppressed, those who are powerless. And here we have a priest and a Levite who goes, goes right past this person. But the Samaritan sees with compassion and then moves to this person, went to him, joins in the situation of what's happening here. And so for us, do we see need? Or are we blind to need? And then if we see need, do we have compassion on that need? And then if we have compassion, do we pause long enough to enter into the situation? I was uh, going to uh, the hospital to visit Wade and Tisha and newborn Nora, and it's a time of celebration. It's a time of excitement because here we have this newborn baby, a new cousin, new baby cuz. And we're excited 
to be a part of this. And so I'm going up the elevator, and I get off the elevator, and I'm standing there waiting uh, before, we, before we go in. And across the hall from the newborn unit is the pediatric intensive care unit. And a mom and a dad and a kid come out of that pediatric intensive care unit, and mom is just bawling. I don't know what's happened. I don't know what news she has received. I don't know what bedside experience she has had with her kid. And so my heart, having been in the hospital more than I would like over the last uh, few months, is a little soft to a mom that's hurting. And I stop her and just ask if I can pray for her. There's compassion there's a pause to enter into the situation that she's in. I don't know where she went from there. I don't know what the situation was. But can we pause long enough to enter into someone else's pain? The second thing that we see in the story is that love does deeds of deliverance. Love does deeds of or actions of deliverance. Now, my stopping to pray with this family was compassionate, but it stopped there. It didn't go into providing anything else beyond a prayer. I don't know what the needs were. I don't know what the situation was. I don't know how I could have done more because I didn't ask. But as we look at the Samaritan, he did not stop and provide simply for the, the man's immediate needs. He didn't, didn't just provide bandages, didn't just provide a drink, but actually went through a series of actions. There's actually nine actions here that he takes to care for and provide for the needs of this person. That the actions he takes provide for the deliverance of this person. And so the emphasis of the story is not on, oh, look at how unselfish the Samaritan was. He gave a certain number of dollars. He, he did a certain number of things. It was actually him being able to do what was needed for this person. The actions were directly related to need to deliver this man from the situation that he was in. Provided exactly what he needed to go from a helpless state to a restored state. And so we think about the example of Jesus and, and his death. And, and Jesus' death is, yes, an incredible sacrifice and that has uh, incredible implications for this idea of the atonement. Of, and we won't get into all the, the, the theological discussion there. But, but yes, Jesus is a sacrifice for us, but it is so much more than that. Because Jesus wants to free us from bondage as well. It's not just sacrifice. It's gaining freedom. He does deeds of deliverance. And so as we think about the people that we come into contact with, we have compassion. We enter into this, this situation. But will we do what is necessary for deliverance? And then a third thing is love invites us into a community. Because the man puts him on his own donkey, 
takes him to the innkeeper and gives him a place to be, providing community. Deliverance is not just about getting out of something, but it's to get into something else. We're delivered from something to something else. We see that the Israelites, the people of God, were delivered from Egypt and they were taken to a place of community in the promised lands. We're delivered from something to something. And so as we do acts of service, acts of love, acts of mercy and compassion that are, are delivering people, what are we delivering them into? Are we bringing them into the community of God? Are we bringing them into a place of love? A community is going to require that we live in forgiveness and grace rather than self-righteousness and judgmentalism. If, if we are, are focused on our own righteousness and how much better we are than others, then this will not be a place of forgiveness. It will not be a place of grace. Will we have a focus on inviting others into community? Is there an invitation to more? And then the final one, and this is a tough one, is love actually confronts those who exclude. Love confronts those who exclude. Because in Jesus' telling of this parable, not only is he giving the model of what to do, not only is he giving the model of what Christ-like love would look like, but he's also giving the opposing model of what it doesn't look like. That to, to exclude and reject others is not included in biblical love. That, that, that if we are to love the way God calls us to love, then we will see others the way God sees others. And, and there is this great equalizer that happens in that. Where here this man is, is needing help and he is stripped of all identity, all markers that would, would indicate who he is, and God says you love him anyway. And so it does not matter what group they are from, we're called to love. And so this parable really confronts the listeners with their own rejection of others. Because there's this culture, they're, they're, the ones who are listening are going to be completely appalled at the fact that it was a Samaritan that is labeled as the good neighbor. The Samaritans are the enemy. The Samaritans are not the ones that should be called the neighbor. The emphasis on the Samaritan providing care would have been incredibly offensive to the people listening to this story. And so think of the <laughs> think about your Facebook feed and think about the person who is the worst person on earth in your Facebook feed. Whether it's a politician or a certain racial group, a certain ethnic group, a certain religious group, the one that not you but your friends are attacking. And now use that person in a story that says they're the ones who've got it right and you're the ones who've got it wrong. Now how shocking would that be? Whatever pro or anti-group you're in, think about the opposite 
And if Jesus were to say, that person, that's actually the one who's got it right. Oh, man. That's not the answer I want. And so that's how these listeners are, hearing that it was a Samaritan that was actually the one who was a good neighbor. And so the story confronts our biases. It conf- confronts our racism. It confronts all the things that, that, that make us put people in categories. The lawyer couldn't even bring himself to say it was the Samaritan. He simply had to say it was the one who showed mercy. But maybe it's better not to have a label anyway. Maybe it's better to be identified by what you do, the one who showed mercy, than the label of Samaritan, Levite, priest, Republican, Democrat, progressive, liberal, conservative. It's not the label that's important. And so the story confronts us with our own biases. And so we need to think about who is it that we exclude? What language do we use? What social media posts do we put on there? What things that we do, do we do that, that put people in boxes and put people in silos and put people in categories? Because that's not the love that God calls us into. And so as we think about the love of Christ, there is no, there is no more dramatic display of that than the cross. As we look at Jesus on the cross, it is packed deep with meaning. This great drama unfolds in front of us as, as Jesus is tried and is executed and hung on the cross. And we see these same things, these same themes of love through the cross. We see that God shows us love by having compassion on us and entering into our situation. Through the incarnation, God comes to be with us. He enters into the situation and has mercy and love for us. He comes and experiences life. He comes and experiences our suffering, and he suffers his own death. And it's through this death on the cross that that he enters into our own bondage. He enters into our own sinfulness, our own rebellion. He comes into that and experiences that. And our sinful human condition separates us from God, separates us from his love, putting us into bondage. And it is through Christ having compassion, coming down and entering into that situation with us that we find freedom. This is the deed of deliverance. Jesus comes in, and through the cross, we are seeing this great act of deliverance. It is this sacrifice that frees us from our sin, and we are delivered through him. And not only are we delivered from something, not only are we delivered from our sin, but we are delivered into this incredible community. We're delivered into this communal relationship with Father, Son, and Spirit. We're entered into this communal relationship with the family of God, with the church. And the reign of God comes in and we see what community can be because Jesus enters into it and delivers us into this community. 
And it is through Christ that there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. We are all one in Christ. There are no distinctions. There are no markers. There are no divisions. We're brought into that community. But with the cross, we are confronted. We're confronted with how we love others. We see in the cross this perfect love for us, and this becomes the great equalizer because we have all equally been offered this gift. That I don't get more of the cross than you because of who I am. You don't get more of the cross than me because of who you are. You don't get more of the cross because of your economic status. You don't get more of the cross because of your gender. You don't get more of the cross for any distinction that we have. We are all equally given the cross. And with that, we have to have some serious self-reflection and say, do I view others the way God views me? Am I extending that love as equally as God would extend that love? That's the challenge of the cross. It's given to us all. Will we extend it to others as well? Let's be standing together. I would love to sit in the place of this lawyer and listen to Jesus tell this story be completely shocked and quite disturbed by what it is that he's saying and have to verbally say it's the one who showed mercy. That's the one who exemplifies the kingdom of God. I wonder what's going on in his mind as he's processing that. God, what are you saying to me? Go and do as the Samaritan did. And so when this man walked away, what did he do with that encounter? Did he go on his lawyer way and continue as he was? Or was there some sort of change that happened in him as he was confronted with Jesus? about what true love is. And so we ask the question every week, God, what are you saying to me? What is God saying to you through this? What, what are the things that you um, have on your heart as the Spirit convicts you, as the Spirit speaks to you and, and challenges you and, and attempts to help you become more Christ-like? What is he saying to you? And then what actions are you going to take? What steps of obe obedience do we need to walk out of here with. And so we're going to have a time of prayer. This is a time where you can come forward and pray with one of the shepherds. You can pray as a life group. You can pray as a family. You can seek someone out and share. This is what God's saying to me. Can you help hold me accountable to what he's saying? It's a, pray, a place where we can share our burdens with one another, pray with one another, encourage one another. Uh, so let's, let's open up this time of prayer together. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your love for us. 
A love that requires nothing of us in return. A love that uh, is given to us regardless of how many times we mess up. And so God, I pray that you will show us what your love for us really means. And then form in us a compassion, a heart, a desire to to see the needs of others, to enter into their situations, to to have actions that, that, that bring deliverance, that invite people into community. God, break down the things in our heart that divide the boundaries, the divisions, the, the columns, the silos, the things that, that separate. Help break those things down in our hearts. God, we do not want an us versus them mentality. We are all your children. God, help us to extend that love and grace to others. Help us to go and do as the Samaritan did. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.